following sermon is by Manny Alaniz, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel in Northwest San Antonio, Texas. For more information, for prayer, or to support us financially, please visit our website at stephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. A siege has been laid against you. Let us prepare our hearts to hear God's truth through the preaching of his word, which begins with prayer. Let us join together in prayer. Good Father, we call upon thee, for you are the, the fountain of all wisdom. Lord, we mercifully pray for the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit so that we can understand your word and receive it in true fear and humility. We render to you, O gracious one, our love and obedience as faithful servants. Fill us with your glory so that we can glorify you. In Christ we pray. Amen. Please be seated. The other day I was having a conversation with a group and a conversation was about it was kind of summarizing or summarizing how your year had gone you know this time of year it's just the end of the year you kind of summarize how did it go this year you know how did it go this year and i can tell you the the theme of of, of that particular conversation the theme can be wrapped up in one sentence the theme was i have been bruised but not broken I have been bruised but not broken. Basically, everyone will say that this has been a tough year. There's been many hardships and many struggles, but they've not given up. Some of us here, some of you here today, feel the same way. This might have been, this has probably been a very difficult year for many of us. Sometimes it seems like we cannot catch a break. Sometimes it seems as though the whole world is against us. It's as though a military siege is against us. And in a very real way, that's what's going on. A military siege is against us because the powers of evil and darkness are attacking us. They want us to surrender the reality of our situation, the situation of humanity, is that we are under siege. The forces of wickedness and evil are crouching at our door, and its desire is to have you, to have us. You see, that's what's going on in our passage today. The people of Israel are under siege. The, the entire world is trying to destroy them. But why? Why? Why is God, the Almighty, allowing this to happen? 
this evening on this third Sunday of the Advent season, we're looking at a prophecy that many theologians consider the most important prophecy of the Old Testament. Now, why should you care? Like, why should you care about what the, most theologians think about this prophecy? Well, because this prophecy, the prophecy in our text, encompasses the present, the past, and the future. And by all means, we are a part of that. We are a part of the present, the past, and the future. If you've ever wondered what it's all about, if you've ever wondered where it's all going to end, it's here. It's here in this prophecy. As we look at our text, we look at we, we look at it from the present time, the present time of the people of the passage. We'll start from there. Verse 1. In verse 1, we must first notice that it is God who is speaking. Now, many times the prophets will say, thus says the Lord, and then they will speak. Here, that's not even included. It is as though God is speaking through the voice of his prophet, Micah. Now, you can imagine what has taken place. Now, what I want you to do as we look at our passage, I want you to put yourself in their footprints. I want you to put yourself in their place as though, uh, because you are a part of Israel, you are a part of God's people, but I want you to place yourself there because what this passage talks about impacts and affects you here today. So that's the first thing we should notice. The next thing we should notice when we start looking at the passage, especially verse one, is that there is a hint, there is a hint of sarcasm going on. A hint of sarcasm being used by God. You see, there truly is a massive military buildup that's surrounding the nation. It, the Assyrians and the other countries, the Assyrians at all, are surrounding the nation of Israel, both, the, both in the northern and the southern kingdom. So there is a, a, a massive buildup. God is telling his people, who are very prideful people, they're very prideful of taking numbers and counting their troops and putting military here, military there, and he's telling, and they're, they're very prideful of making sure they're ready for combat. But they're forgetting one thing, they're forgetting him. So God is telling them, muster your troops, O daughters of troops. A siege is laid against you. The intent of this siege, this military siege, is to strike Israel on the cheek. Basically, they're pronouncing judgment against Israel. They're pronouncing judgment. All these countries, all these, these uh, other nations are basically pronouncing judgment on Israel. They're trying to destroy it. See, the reason for the Sarcasm in what the Lord is telling them is because the Lord is allowing it. He's allowing it to happen. He wants them to react to it. 
He's allowing for this buildup. Nothing like nothing happens without God allowing it. Nothing good or nothing bad can happen in your life unless the Lord allows it. Now, before we continue, I want to give you a time frame. I want to give you some time references so you can kind of put this in perspective as far as time in the Old Testament. Do you recall the, the reign of King David? Now, he reigned 900, 1,000 years B.C. before Christ was born. Well, after King David, Solomon reigned. And after Solomon, the, the nation of Israel spread into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, composed of ten tribes, was called Israel. The southern kingdom, two tribes, is called Judah. This prophecy by Micah, who is a prophet of the southern, uh, southern kingdom, is given to the people. This prophecy is given to the people about 737 B.C. Okay, now that is before. Obviously, it's after King David and Solomon, but it's before the northern kingdom is taken into exile, is taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And that happened in 722 BC. And it's also before the southern kingdom is taken into captivity by the Babylonians. So, this is a prophecy that's going to happen. And we know, we can look back and know that it does happen. So what does this tell us? Well, this tells us that God knows. He knew when he was talking to him, he knew what was going to happen because he was going to allow it. They were going to be sent into captivity. Now, here's how it pertains to us. God is doing this, and God is, is basically sending them off into captivity because the people have been committing sin. Sin the sin of idol worship, the sin of idol worship. Now, how do we know that? Well, we know that throughout the Old Testament. It tells us about it, but we know that because there's a parallel passage on the bottom at the, the, the end of this chapter. It parallels the first part of the chapter. It explains a lot. So the, the, the parallel uh, passage of this chapter is in verses 12 through 14. The Lord states, God Almighty states that he will cut off the sorcerers. He goes on to say that he will also cut off the, the carved images. And he will root out the astra, the astra images from the people. See, the people of God. Now listen, the people of God. It's like being Christian. The, the, the people of God are worshiping uh, uh, this God called this Canaan goddess called Ashtoreth. While they're worshiping God or giving their 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 they're giving what they owe to God and 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 they're 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 acknowledging that that God that Yahweh is God. They also worship this Yahweh, this other Yahweh that they call Ashtoreth. They have these idols all over the place. They have these poles that they put up, and they put up. Poles and in, in, in trees and, 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 and all over the place. Astra is a, a Canaanite, is the Canaanite fertility goddess. She is said to be the mother of Baal 
and 70 other gods. That is why she's also referred to as the queen of heaven. In the Old Testament, there are passages that talk about how God's people, it's like Christians, like Christians worship the queen of heaven. God is condemning his people because they are worshiping the, the queen of heaven. They're worshiping this so-called goddess. To be clear, and, and we must be crystal clear about this, God does not approve of idol worship. He is God and there is no other. He is a jealous God. He does not approve of idol worship. That was for the people back then, the people of Israel. That is for us today. He does not approve it. In fact, the people that are worshiping Astra, he, he vows that he's going to destroy their cities for doing that. And he does. So the question for us today, the question for you today is, do you worship idols? Do you worship idols? Now, you may say, you may be thinking, oh, man, Pastor Manny, of course I don't worship. I don't worship idols. I don't bow down to any statue. I don't have any figure of anybody that I worship. But before you say that, and, and, and understand that worshiping an idol doesn't mean that, a, that, a, that it's an idol that you look at, like that reef or something. It could be an idol that you place before God. Anything that sits where God needs to be seated. Anyone you pray to other than God is your idol. And so... We may say as Christians that we don't worship idols, but the problem that we have is that our behavior, the things we do, how we live our life, betrays us. It betrays us. We're critical of other people in our lives that, that aren't Christian, or maybe say that they're Christian, but they never pray, they don't go worship or anything. So we're, we condemn them, but we don't condemn ourselves for not submitting to God in full obedience, putting him first and foremost in our lives. That means that if you do something else first and foremost before God, you are worshiping an idol. And, God, and we, just, we just read about how God does not tolerate idol worship. And many people think that they can get away with it. They're not. They're not. Judgment is coming. But see, here's another question we have to worry about. Some, some Christians have to worry about, and they have to answer. Do they worship the queen of heaven? Do they worship the queen of heaven? There are Christians that do. Remember. Again, an idol is anyone you put before God, anyone you pray to. Anyone who sits where God must sit. And, and for us, even today, a lot of times what we do is we put ourselves first. 
We put ourselves first. What about me? I just can't do it. I am not up to doing what God wants me to do. I'm too tired tonight to pray. I did everything else. I dotted my eyes and crossed my T's. And I watched my favorite program. And then what? I'm tired. I got to go to sleep. I'm going to, maybe I'll pray when I'm laying down before I pass out. How's that? See, everything's secondary. See, we're human. The life is going on all around us. There's a siege against us. The powers of evil and demonic forces are all over the place attacking us, especially you Christians, us Christians. So the battle rages. See, the fear could be, what if God does the same thing to us that he did to his people back centuries ago? Sends you into exile. Not giving you up, but giving you over to what you worship. That would be terrible. That's the fear. And, and we have to be sometimes reminded of who he is and what it's all about and who it's all about. we got to guard ourselves. And not be foolish. God, worshiping God, the true and living God, requires a commitment to him. A commitment to him. Worshiping him. And it does cost us something. It costs us our lives. And it does. It costs you your life. The scripture makes it abundantly clear that it's going to cost you your life. Jesus tells his followers, his disciples, it's going to cost you your life. Will you drink the cup that I drink? Do you drink from that cup, the cup of eternal life? From that, we are blessed. From that, we are blessed. You see, it is not about religion. It is about a relationship, a relationship with Christ our Lord. A few months ago, I was talking to someone, and, and he was telling me that he wanted to reconnect with God and reconnect with the church, and, and he felt a need to do that. But then for whatever reason, he starts getting mad at me and saying, Pastor Manny, don't force me. Don't push it. Don't push it upon me. I have other things I need to do. I'm going to do it, though. I'm going to, I'm going to get there. I'm going to reconnect. Well, I mean, he was right. I mean, to be forced, that's not the way God wants you. Uh, you want to come to God in love because he loves you. Your desire should be to love him and to want to be with him and to want to worship him. Listen, when when we're living our life and things in our life are pulling us away from focusing on him and loving him and, and, and desiring him, first and foremost, there's something wrong. There's something going on. Perhaps a test. That is the time to refocus. That's the time to say, stop. Let me take, let me go, go to another room and kneel. Kneel down. Huh. The mercy seat, right? Kneeling. What a position. 
When you're kneeling, it's hard to be When you're kneeling, it is very difficult to get distracted. Like you're kneeling. And if you're walking with Christ, you come to it like an immediate focus on what you're doing while you're kneeling. Now, many of us don't kneel anymore. We do here when we're worshiping, if you're able. And by the way, if you're not able to kneel, there's other ways to get your focus on the Lord. But that's what you're trying to do, is get your focus on Him. My dear friend, he, his intentions were good, but his actions revealed that his heart was not true. That's how close it cuts. That's how close it is. We're not going to mock God. We're not going to trick him like we trick ourselves into believing that. He knows if you love him. He knows if your desire is for him. Even when we stumble, he loves you and forgives you. He brings you back. What an awesome God he is. As we turn back to our passage, we also get a glimpse of the future. You know, this the, the people of God are under siege. They're under military siege. But in that, and God is telling them, you know, marshal up your, muster up your troops. God then gives them, reveals to them good news, good news. That good news was not going to happen in their lifetime. But it's a promise. It was his promise to them that it was going to work out. That good news is coming. Verse 2. In verse 2, we're told. In verse 2, we're told about something that doesn't occur for 700 years. The Lord says, You, O Bethlehem, Ephrata, from you shall come for me ah, one who is the ruler of Israel. From you shall come forth for me the ruler. Here we're being, basically we're being told of where the Messiah is coming from, where he will be born. The Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. And the Ephrata, that is basically specifically, it's specified that it's the Bethlehem from Judea. There was another one that popped up, but it's specifically talking about the house of bread from Judea, Bethlehem from Judea. Now here again, we're being told about a birth, of the, a birth of a human. Now it is amazing to me to 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 be to read this this again was prophesied 700 years before the birth of Christ and so the people heard it and it was eventually written down and and they could to hear that okay God is saying that the ruler the true ruler meaning the true king the true messiah of of the nation of Israel of his people is going to be born is coming from Bethlehem. But what's what's amazing is about to is about to is the second part of this. Because God says that this ruler 
is from of old. This ruler is from of old, from ancient of days. Now, I, I, you know, I when, again, I'm trying to put myself in their shoes, and, and you're being told that. God is speaking to you, and he's saying, there's a ruler coming. There's my, my Messiah. My king is coming. He's coming. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. That's how they knew it in the New Testament, where he was going to be born, the king of the Jews. But then the prophecy says, but he is from of old. He is from ancient times. He is from ancient of days. Now, when it says ancient of days, we got to turn to the, the book of Daniel, the, old, the, the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament, where it also makes reference to the ancient of days. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 7. It says, and this is a prophet having a vision, it says, as I look, the thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair on his head was like pure wool. <clears throat> his throne was fiery flame, and the wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued, came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. Judgment. See, now we're talking about future, future, all of our future, judgment time. And that goes on to talk about the Son of Man coming. <coughs> but that is the reference to, to, to uh, the Ancient of Days. So now we turn to the, as we read our passage, we turn to and trying to understand the past. Because it goes, when we talk about the ancient of days, it goes to the future judgment, but it also goes to eternity past. So, so we got time and space. We live in time and space, okay? Jesus came from eternity into time and space, and he walked this earth in time and space. When God looks at any of his creation, he sits in eternity. So when he sees anything, it's happening right now. It's happening at that time. I mean, that's a way to try to understand how God views things. He sits outside of time. So wherever God looks, it's that time. So when when God, when when we talk about the Messiah be, being from ancient of days, we have to look back to eternity past. And to try to understand that our salvation by the King of glory, by Jesus Christ himself, was ordained in eternity past. By the triune God, the eternity past, the, the, the theologians have for years looked at this covenant that's made in eternity past, in eternity, outside of time and space, before the world was spoken into being, as the covenant of redemption. Some refer to it as a covenant of grace. What is the covenant of redemption? What is the covenant of grace? It is a covenant that the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made with one another to save us even before God created us. That's God. 
That's who he is. That's who we're dealing with. He knew that we would, would sin against him and fall. And he knew how he was going to save some of us. Not everybody. See, that is the unfortunate thing. When we, when we talk about this relationship with Christ, it has to be near and dear to our hearts. Because you're saved. Because he chose to save you. Not by anything you did or anything in you. If you believe that, you're prideful. He chose to save you. So that's why you pray for your loved ones. That's why you pray for your friends. That's why you pray for others. So God can save them. St. Augustine, the, the great theologian of the first thousand years of the church, he credited his salvation to his mother, who prayed for him for years to be saved. He was a wretched man. Until one day, God frowned upon him and, or, or, or shined upon him, and, and, and he read a verse out of Romans, and everything changed for him. And, and when he wrote, his, his, uh, when he wrote his, his books, his confessions, that was, that was one of his books, he credited being saved to his mother. Now, does God work that way? Oh, of course he works that way. He ordains the means. He ordains the means by how he was saved. He ordains the means of how we were saved. That's why you pray for others who you love. They might tell you that they're saved. You probably would know better. You would hope so. Pray for them. The power of prayer. The covenant of redemption is a covenant made in eternity past by the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, where God plans the, the, uh, and ordains salvation for humanity before the foundation of the world, as we talked about. The covenant of redemption involves the Father sending His Son into the world to fully meet the requirements of justice. See, that Jesus is the true Israel. Israel. He is the true Israel. He fulfilled all the requirements that God had for humans. That Adam failed, and everybody else failed, and the nation failed. Jesus fulfills the Son. His part is his willingness to take on human form and live a sinless life, and then offer himself as an atonement for the sins of humanity, for the atonement of those who believe in him. The Holy Spirit is associated with the application of that salvation. After Christ's work on the cross, the Holy Spirit is sent to convict us of our sins and lead us to faith in Christ. That is the covenant of redemption. That covenant was, was made before the universe, before the Big Bang, how's that? Before the universe came into existence. Now, we look at when we look at verses 4 and 5, we have reason for rejoicing, for singing praises to the Lord on this third Sunday of Advent. Christ has come to to save and shepherd his people. He will return in full dominion over all of creation. 
But what we cannot overlook is what it says is what it says in verse three. In verse three, it, it tells us just exactly how the church comes about. The God's people, Israel, the Jews reject the Messiah. They reject the Messiah, and they were, and and Paul talks about it. So the gospel goes out to the Gentiles. So then it becomes the age of the Gentiles. We are living in the age of the Gentiles, the end times. But here's what's wonderful about God. Here's how, how benevolent he is. He's telling us, in uh, the, this prophecy is telling us in verse 3, that a remnant that of, 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 of the ethnic Jews of Israel will return, that God will save them. And they will join their brothers and sister Gentiles to become the true Israel. Someday, before he returns, the Jews, see, the, the nation of Israel, even today, rejected the Messiah. They didn't believe it because he died. It's a stumbling block. It's just like, how? So they rejected Jesus. And they're waiting for the true Messiah to show up. Now, listen, there are some Messianic Jews, okay? Beth Simca, where we used to worship, those are Messianic Jews. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the true Messiah. But for the most part, there are other Jews that do not believe in Jesus and what he did and who he truly is. But we're told here in other places that there's going to be a remnant, his people, of his people, the true Jews, the nation of Israel, that will come to Christ and join their brothers and sister Gentiles and become the true Israel. And God, Jesus Christ, will shepherd his people. That is wonderful news. So if, if you're feeling bruised today, if you're feeling bruised and broken, then the Lord is working on you. He's reminding you that you depend on him, that you trust him. When you're down, when you feel like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where this is all going. I don't know what to do. You think of him, you remember him. He's leading. We're following. Your trust, my trust, your trust must be in him. He knows where he's going. We submit our lives now and forevermore to Christ, Jesus Christ, here and now and forevermore. Christ is here at this very moment. He's dwelling in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. He stands forever. Remember, Jesus' eyes never slumber. His hands never rest. His heart never ceases, ceases to beat with love. And his shoulders are never weary to carry his people's burden. He reigns. His reign is effectually powerful in its action. He shall shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord 
Let us rejoice. Christ came forth from ancient of days to be born in Bethlehem for the salvation of his people. He now stands and shepherds his flock in the majesty of his glorious name. Amen. You've been listening to Manny Alanese, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel. For more information about our church, visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Please join us prayerfully and financially as we seek to glorify God by preaching His Word and spreading the gospel of grace in boldness and selflessness.